2 Timothy. We've been going through the New Testament letters of Paul, and we've been reading them all the way through, and then going back and taking out um, certain things that Paul made uh, great points of so that we can understand the letter better. And this is a practice that the New Testament church did in the first, second, third centuries and on for a long time, was that they would read the entire letter in their service. Uh, they Normally, back then, they would stand in service as well. So they didn't have uh, nice, cushy seats like you have here or at home. They would stand through a whole service. They would sing through a whole service. They didn't have a sound system. They they just sang out. They sang a cappella mostly. Um, and so their worship was a little different than ours in that sense. But they would take the Word of God, and they would preach that whole word, that whole letter, and, and then they would talk about it. So well, that's what we're trying to do. You know, yesterday was America's 244th birthday. So far, it's been a hard year, hasn't it? It's been a hard year for America. It's been a hard year for the church. 2020 could lead all of us to think that what about what is the future of America? What's going to happen to America in the future? What's going to happen to the church in the future? I'm not a prophet, so I can't really say exactly. And I, but I'll say this. I haven't seen this much social disruption in America since the 1960s. And I was born in the early 60s and grew up in the 60s and 70s when a lot of unrest was going on. I haven't seen this much sickness across our nation since, since the AIDS epidemic in the eight, 1980s. Remember that? That was always in the news. That was always in the news because of the AIDS epidemic. The social ties and the social fabric of America has been stretched almost to the breaking point. I think we're kind of at that point. We're almost ready to break. I don't think we're quite ready to break, but we're very, very close. And so I'm, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think a lot of Christians are asking themselves, maybe you are today, what am I supposed to do in times like this? What do I? I'm nobody. I'm nobody special. I'm just a pastor of a local church. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in times like this? Well, we can't join the rioters, right? We can't join the rioters. That'd be wrong. We can't go around destroying and burning down property that we don't own, and we don't want to burn our own house down, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But that would be wrong for us to go down and burn somebody else's house down or, or their building or, or steal their things. We can't apologize for something that we personally didn't do. I have never owned a slave in my life. I don't know if my family history has slavery in it as far as did any of my ancestors own slaves. I don't think so. I don't know. I haven't made, done a research on that. So, you know, I can't apologize for something I didn't do. To me, that seems hypocritical. Now, I'll say this. I wish slavery and racism didn't exist. I totally wish that. I don't want to be, I don't want racism or, or slavery to be part of our nation's history, but unfortunately it is. And we can't change the past because that's why it's called the past. But we can do some things better today now. We can do some things now to help people live a better life now. As Christians, we can really do some things. One of the things I think all of us need to do is, is remember our history. Go back and study American history. And I mean really study it. Go back and read about what people lived through when they first came over here, those pilgrims. Read about the, the black people who were brought here as slaves. Read about people, who uh, the Native American who suffered uh, during the West. Read about these people. Read what they went through. Try to understand some of them. One person I would recommend that you go read his life story is Booker T. Washington. Go read his life story. Booker T. Washington was born a slave. He was born a slave, but he was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation in the middle of the Civil War. 
He taught himself how to read and write, basically read and write, but he also became educated at the university level. He helped establish the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, Tuskegee, Alabama. It went on today, and now it's called the Tuskegee University. He helped establish that university to teach black men and women how to teach young black kids in the rural South after the Civil War. That was the whole idea of that school, was to teach all, to raise up teachers, men and women, black men and women, and send them to the South, to the rural parts of the South, to teach black kids how to read and write, how to help them get into college, how to help them get better lives. And Booker T. Washington worked with anybody he could to improve the lives of his people, black and white. He didn't care. It didn't matter to him. What he wanted to do was help people live a better life. In 1901, President Theodore Roosevelt invited Booker T. Washington to dinner in the White House. The first time a black man was ever publicly welcomed for dinner in the White House as an equal. Listen to something. I came across this quote, and I think it bears good thought for today. Booker T. Washington once said, We shall prosper. He's talking about all people, black people, white people, whoever. We shall prosper as we learn to do common things of life in an uncommon way. And, you know, and basically, I don't know exactly what he mean, meant because I wasn't there when he said that, and I don't have the whole speech he said it in, but here's what I take away from that. We've got to learn to live in an uncommon way, not like the rest of the world lives, not like the rest of our culture lives, but the way Jesus wants us to live. That's the most uncommon way anybody can live. It doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your skin color. To live for Jesus, to live for Christ, is to live a common life in a very uncommon way. So here's the thing. The church has a role in the life and culture of America today. The church still has a, has a role to play. We still have something to do in America. There are things that you and I can do to make life better for other people. And, and this church, I know this church, this church does not care if you're black or white or red or yellow or whatever. We don't care what your skin color is. We don't care what ethnic background you come from. We don't care. We don't care about any of that stuff. By the way, the Bible says and teaches that we're all one blood. We all come from one blood. That's an axe. And so there are things that the church can do to make life better for others. And Paul talks about these things right here in 2 Timothy in his letter to Timothy. And like Booker T. Washington, Paul was persecuted. Paul suffered for his faith. Paul suffered in his life. And like Booker T. Washington, Paul didn't become bitter. Instead, he used his sufferings to serve others to help them live a better life. And Paul told Timothy some truths that Timothy needed to know in order to persevere in his faith the way Paul had. And I think we need to hear these truths so we can persevere the way Paul did too. Or we're going to let bitterness soak into us. And bitterness doesn't just soak into people's lives and hearts. It soaks in and then it soaks out, doesn't it? We see it all the time. You turn bitter and angry and it always flows back out. Our faith in Jesus must guide us in the future. Through our relationship with God, we can serve others and help them have a better future, an eternal future as well. So let's read chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is the beginning of the letter. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you 
so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his Father, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. What you've heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including by Julius and Hermonides. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Remus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Chapter 1. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this letter from Timothy, from Paul to Timothy. We thank you, God, that we can gather in your place and in your presence and, and seek, Father, to, uh, to be led by your spirit. We pray, Father, that you would guide and direct us as we hear your words read, as we hear your words taught. We pray, Father, you would speak to each person that's here today whether they're on Facebook Live or whether they're here in the, in, the, in the sanctuary. Father, we just pray that you would be glorified and that you would strengthen us as your church to be and do what you would have us be and do. We thank you again, Father, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and Lord. We pray this all in his name. Amen. You have your outline now ready. Point number one, Paul said, don't be ashamed to talk about Jesus. He tells that to Timothy here in chapter one. And look again at verse eight and nine with me. He says there, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. He says, don't be ashamed to talk about Jesus. Our world needs to hear about Jesus. Did you know there's nothing... There is nothing that you and I can do to make us better people than we are. There is nothing that you and I can do to change the world and make it into a better place. There's nothing that you and I can really truly do. We can be good people. We can be kind. We can be generous. But in ourselves and of our own strength, we can do nothing on our own. The only way, the only way to be truly free from sin and prejudice, the only way for a person to be who God wants that person to be, for you to be who God wants you to be, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. You know why that's so? Because Jesus Christ changes lives. And because He changes lives, He changes the world. And He has to do this every generation because one generation dies off, another one is born and grows up. And this is why we cannot be ashamed of the Gospel. We have to be sure to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. He is the only hope 
that people need. He is the only hope that people can seek and find. He is the hope that people are looking for. And that's our message. Your message. My message. The world is looking for answers to problems it cannot solve on its own. Why do people riot and loot and burn? Because they don't have hope. That's why. People have become convinced of life as it is right now. The way things are right now is the way things will always be. That's why they have no hope. So why not destroy everything? Why not burn down the neighborhood? Why not rob the, the, the store? Why not do whatever you feel like doing? Why not throw paint, tear things down? When you have no hope, your life shows that. Our response should be to testify about Jesus Christ. It should be to let people know, hey, there is someone who can help you. There is someone who can change your life and make your life better. And that person is Jesus Christ. He's the great equalizer of all men and women. You know, and during the Civil War, many soldiers went into battle singing that song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. They were willing to die to make men free. They're willing to suffer to kill slavery because they knew that Jesus Christ is the great equalizer of all men and women. He is the Savior of the world. He's the one who died for all of our sins, whether we're red, yellow, black, or white. doesn't matter what your color of your skin is. He died for you. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter where you come from. He died for you. His sins, he died for your sins. Mine too. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, And of this gospel, Paul says, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Paul said he wasn't afraid to tell people who Jesus is and what Jesus had done for him and for them. And Paul suffered. He suffered because he wasn't ashamed of his Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew the cost that if we were to be ashamed of Jesus, he knew what it would cost. Listen to Mark 8, verse 38. It tells us Jesus said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You know what sinful generation Jesus was talking about? Every generation. Because every generation is sinful. Every person is born with a nature towards sin. And at some point we begin to sin. So when you talk about Jesus Christ and someone laughs and someone says, you're, you're foolish to believe all of that. You're foolish to believe that some guy died 2,000 years ago, rose up from the grave and is coming back again. You're foolish. Ask them this question. What other hope is there? What other hope is there? Who else can do more than Jesus has done? The answer is no one. And there is no other hope. There's only Jesus Christ. Let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, Paul writes there, he says, You then, my son, he's speaking to Timothy like a, like a father, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who, have also, who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. 
Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best. Present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handle, handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this instruction, inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble. But a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't do anything to do don't do, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel and said he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Point number two on your outline this morning, Paul also said, remember, it's God you're serving. Remember, it's God you're serving. This is something all Christians need to realize and remember. All of us need to remember this. Day in, day out, we serve God with our lives. Not just one day of the week, not just on Sundays. We're supposed to live our lives before God each and every day. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. You know, when you read the book of Acts and you read about Paul's life in the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul learned, uh, knew, he knew Roman soldiers well. He understood Roman soldiers. He spent a lot of time with Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers, by the way, never got a day off. They never got a day off. When you were a Roman soldier, you were on duty 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. You lived to serve your commanding officer. Can you believe that? Seven days a week, never a day off. Now, they got some downtime. They had meal time and relaxed time, and they, had, they got time where they could take days here and there. But for the most part, Roman soldiers were on duty 24 hours a day. They understood what it meant to serve one master. In Matthew, cha Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow Jesus or are we going to follow the culture? A lot of the world today follows culture. 
celebrities all around are being followed by musicians who are famous. Lots of other people want to be like these certain musicians. This guy who plays piano or the, or the person who plays guitar, whoever that person is, whatever they do, then the movie actor, the movie actress, people want to follow these people and they, so they live their lives according to that person. Some people even have, uh, have operations to make themselves look more and more like that person. And they end up being grotesque looking. But our culture is driven that way. We follow these, these, these celebrity people when we ought to be following who? Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That's, just, that's a servant. We want to serve God and we want to be approved by God. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, Growing up, I didn't like to... There were some chores I didn't like to do. There were some things on the farm I hated doing. One of the things I hated to do was paint. I hated painting things. Because you had to, you had to paint the fence. You had to paint the barn. I hated painting things. I just hated it. And the people who raised me said, you know, whatever you do, it's worth doing right. And I think there's some truth to that. Sometimes we have to do things we don't always enjoy. We don't always like to do these things, but we have to do these things because that's what God calls us to do. Those common things. Paul keeps going back in this letter to not being ashamed of Jesus. We can't be ashamed of Jesus. And he did this because he knew people tend to draw back from confrontation. That many people don't like conflict. And I get that. I understand that. That's why he tells Timothy, don't argue. Don't get into conflicts. Don't go into conflicts. Don't get drawn into them. Don't get sucked into those. But in a sense, we are in a conflict, aren't we? We are in a conflict of ideas. A conflict of worldviews. A conflict of which way are we going to go. Different belief systems and different thoughts. And there's always resistance to the gospel. There's always resistance to what we believe. As Christians, why do you think Christians have been persecuted for 2,000 years and will continue to be persecuted until Jesus comes back? Because we are in a conflict. All right? But get this. Unbelievers are not our enemies. We can't hate the unbeliever because we at one time, we ourselves, were unbelievers. We were enemies with God. And then Jesus opened up our eyes, opened up our hearts. He changed us. And He became our friend. Colossians 1, verse 21 and 22, Paul says this, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish, free from accusation. Paul also wrote to Timothy about the last days. He said this about the last days. The early church believed they were living in the last days. And guess what? So are we. We too are living in the last days as well. Let's read chapter 3. Chapter 3. But mark this, Paul says. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, and without self-control, brutal, not lovers, of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Paul says, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins 
and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be, will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and apostles will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and from how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Point number three this morning, the last days. In the last days, these will be difficult. These last days will be difficult. When Paul was alive, the culture wasn't that much different than it is today. Really, it wasn't. It still did much of the same things we do today. It didn't have all the technology, sure. Sometimes technology doesn't serve us that well, does it? Yeah. But people, human nature, has not changed much in 2,000 years. Not much at all. Look again at verse 1. He says, but mark this. I like the way he begins this part, but mark this. It means to remember what you're reading. Remember what you're hearing. Remember what this person says next. Don't forget it. It's a warning for you. He says his last days will be terrible. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. He says a lot here, doesn't he? He says that this is, he's describing for us what the end times are going to be like, and we're seeing these things literally coming true in our towns, in our cities, in our country. The last days will be terrible. People won't love other people at all. Instead, they'll love money. People will seek money, will, will hoard money, will develop a love and a desire for money. They will boast about what they have, the things that they have that they own that make them feel good. They will be arrogant and abusive to others. They'll be ungrateful and unholy and unforgiving. You know, one of the things that God really hates is ungratefulness. You know what the Bible says in James? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Father of heavenly lights, it does not shift. It does not change like shifting shadows. We ought to be thankful for everything we have. Whatever it is, we ought to be thankful for what we have. But the, but the end days are going to be very bad, very terrible. And you could have learned that if you'd have read the paper on Tuesday morning. Did anybody read the paper Tuesday morning? Anybody read it? Anybody read? Say amen. If you looked on the front page, you would have seen this headline. Vehicles drive through a crowd. Six demonstrators arrested as protest continues on Mass Street. Wow. Why would somebody drive their car into a crowd of people? I don't know. But that's happening all across America. It happened here in Lawrence. 
It amazes me how much people love to protest. And I mean scream and yell and curse. And they love to tear things apart, tear things down, burn things up, and they love to run over each other. I'm not interested in doing any of those things. I'd rather talk about Jesus because I think Jesus can make a bigger impact in our world today than anybody burning down a building that doesn't even belong to them. Paul talked about Jesus wherever he went. And whoever would listen to him, he talked, he told them about Christ. And sometimes it got him into trouble. Lots of times it got him into trouble. Lots of times it got him beat up, kicked out of town, run off. But he didn't let that stop him. Matter of fact, persecution made Paul stronger in his faith. It made him talk about Jesus even more. Persecution made his faith stronger. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, I delight in weakness in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul did not go out there in the world and egg people on to, to insult him or to beat him up. He didn't need to do that. All he had to tell them was who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and died for them, and he rose up from the grave, that he was better than any other face, false gods, that any of them worshipped. And that was plenty enough to get beat up. True biblical Christianity is powerful. It's quiet, but it's powerful. It's more powerful than any government. It'll change a government, by the way. It's more powerful than a mob. It'll quiet a mob. It's more powerful than any ruler. And that's because biblical Christianity was founded by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the church has God on its side. And we should learn to trust God more for our protection than we do any government even the U.S. government. Well, then Paul tells us what to do about God's Word. He says, always trust God's Word. Let's read chapter 4 real quickly. It says in chapter 4, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is, hope, he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Titus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus, at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. All the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesimus. 
Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Prometheus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be, grace be with you. Paul says this, really here. You can boil all it down to this. Stay true to the word of God. What are we supposed to do in times like this? In all places, in all times, what do we do? Preach the word. You and I, we preach the word. We live it out. We share who Jesus is. That's preaching the word. That's proclaiming the truth. The Bible is the word of God. It says in verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. When things are good and when things are bad, when the culture's for you and the culture's against you, preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For, time, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. We're in those days, aren't we, friends? People are not putting up with sound doctrine. If you've been paying attention over the last couple of months to what I've been saying, that the American church is turning to the prosperity gospel. The American church is turning to the name it and claim it gospel, the, 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 the word of faith gospel. We're turning away from the biblical gospel to things man made up. The Bible is more than just a book or a set of books. It's much more than that. It's God's revelation. It's His self-revelation of who He is. It's God's instruction manual for how us, how we, His people, should live and how we can please Him. The message of the gospel is very simple. It's salvation by faith through Jesus Christ. The Bible is truth without error. It's trustworthy for guidance in life. It's the standard by which all people everywhere, believers and non-believers, will be judged by God on the last day. Paul was totally committed to the Word of God. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2. The Word of God was paramount in his life and ministry. He said, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The Bible is the most profoundly powerful book that's ever been written. Its message is salvation by faith through Christ, it leads people to Jesus who sets them free because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no one else. And Jesus said this, and we celebrate this every year on the 4th of July. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Yeah, we had a revolution in 1776, and we put together a government, a secular government. But if the sun sets you free, that's when you are truly, truly free. Our world needs the gospel. Our world needs the Bible today because our world needs Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why we bought land 11 years ago. That's why we bought land on the east edge of town to build a church where there is no church, to share Jesus openly and with, unashamedly with others in that neighborhood who are moving there or will move there so that we can be a light, a shining light over there and be seen by that neighborhood, by that part of the city where there are no churches, to, to, for sure. People ask Jesus one time, what do they got to do? What do I have to do to get to heaven? This is a universal question. I think everybody wrestles with this to some extent. His answer was very, very simple and very easy to understand. Just believe in Him. In John chapter 6, verse 29, somebody asked Jesus, what do I got to do to earn my way to heaven? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. That's what we have to do is to believe in Jesus Christ and let Jesus Christ change our hearts, change our lives. And through us, through the church, God 
and Jesus will change the world. We just have to be instruments in His hands and let Him do it through us. How do you do that? How do you, how do you believe in Jesus? Well, you have to believe from your heart. It has to come from within you. It has to come from who you are. You have to accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sins, not His. He rose up three days later, and He's coming back on the last day. And then you have to act upon that belief. You have to confess it. You have to, to say something that, that you believe Jesus is your Lord with your mouth. That's what Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You have to believe it in your heart. You have to mean it. It has to be genuine. And then you have to act upon that. How do we do that? Very simple prayer. I say it every Sunday with you here online. If you've never done that, and you'd like to do that, would you bow with me here in a minute and pray with me? Pray this prayer. This very simple prayer. Just follow along with me. For those of you here, maybe there's somebody in your life that you know doesn't know Christ as their Savior, and they need Jesus bad. they got problems in their life or whatever, or maybe they're just going along and life is just pretty good, but they're missing something. Pray for that person right now. For those of you who are watching online, if you want to know who Jesus Christ, if you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior, Lord, just bow your head with me and say this prayer with me. Dear God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Lord this day and every day from now on. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer. And I hope that you meant it. And I hope you'll contact me here at the church. It's 785-843-0442. That's your church phone number. Leave a voicemail if I'm not here. and I'll get back to you. Or email me at at cornerstonesbc at, at yahoo.com. I always want to say the website. cornerstonesbc at yahoo.com. And I'll contact you and send you some information about our church. Also, some information to help you grow in your faith. Right now, we just want to take a moment sing a song. This is where we do the invitation time. Maybe today someone needs to come forward for prayer. Maybe someone needs to rededicate their lives. This is, all, this is your opportunity to do that where you are. It's Annalise is in this song. You let God speak to your life wherever you're at. And you make any commitment you need to from your heart as well.